when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. Yeah, the late night episodes. Late night pod. I know. I like the evening cast, the after hours edition. It's black, it's dark, can't see anything. But because it's late night, we get beers. That's right. Shooters to uh, Boxing Rock here. Too Boxing funny. Rock. Boop. Sponsors of the studio, so they became sponsors of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good as soon as it hits your lips. Um, season two, episode 14. 14. Yeah, we're getting some sh- shaking heads in the back there. Season two, episode 14. Today, we're talking about mini homes as our main topic. We're going to go over some of the common questions, what they are, uh, benefits of having them, I guess the negatives and drawbacks of potentially owning them, um, and then the usual. We're going to go over some of the news that I have, some of Chandler's news, and then some other things that are going on in general. There's lots of big things changing in the real estate world and yep. investing, so we want to go over all of that. Um, and yeah, We also else? have some questions that have come in from uh, the past couple of weeks, so we're going to visit those, um, and, and hopefully people take a little bit from that. Thanks so much again for, for posting the questions. So. Um, but as always, let's start with what's going on in your life. Neil, it was... Uh-oh. It was a tough week online for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> tough week online for the boys. We made some mistakes. Ah, we made one mistake. Ah. Not really. Well, let, should we start with mine or just... I think we talked a little bit about you being in the news and... and it's yeah. happened a few times. I don't think we've addressed this one specifically, but first off, we'll talk about yours. Uh, in our last episode, we'll oh make the gosh. correction on here as well. For anyone who listened to the last yeah. episode about condos, um, Chandler was describing kind of yeah, what yeah. a condo is and how the ownership works. So I'll just jump in. Like, I was super excited to talk about the cool part about condo ownership and how that ownership um, structure can do really neat things. Like, I'm selling this uh, bare land condo project down on the water just outside of Lunenburg where normally you could maybe get two or three properties, but instead you're getting 10 because they share uh, common elements and they share common septic and sewer. So, uh, And then they've got these projects where, you know, condo ownership could be uh, an office. It could be a total you know whole hotel it could be a parking spot at a marina it could be a parking spot in a parking lot it can be a parking garage it can be it can be a garage it can be a storefront it can be almost anything and i was trying to get at that and i was rushing through oh what's a condo it's like all right well you know you own a share in the condo corp and that gives you exclusive right to the unit blah blah not exactly accurate you do own the actual space of the unit as i was trying to get at you know the the space in between between your exterior walls that's what you actually own that's what your deed is and then you have a shared ownership of the common elements which include the actual structure of the building the outside of the windows the patios and all that so we posted that and uh the internet does not let you slip up oh my gosh man so as soon as it, when, we, when we, you asked me about co-ops after that, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, technically the co-op thing is where you own a share that entitles you to solution, but whatever. I was like, who's going to watch it? Like, you know, who's going to really care? There's still <laughs> other points in there, and that wasn't what I was trying to get at. But, man, last night, 11 o'clock, I'm in bed. The video is randomly hitting 70,000 views on TikTok. Like, what's this about? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's because it's slightly wrong. And it seems like every person who's ever sat on a condo board was on TikTok TikTok last <laughs> night at 11 o'clock. like, uh, uh, technically what you're describing is a co-op. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. And anyway, neither here nor there. But um, what we've learned is now we need to speak. We have to make everything wrong. I don't know. We yeah, have to make mistakes so. con- consistently to get massive growth. It shows, though, because you know how much I hate social media, and I've like been critical of social media on here before, yep. that how negativity is is way easier to go viral yeah. than, you know, positivity. positivity. Big time. Right? Like somehow the algorithm knows like, oh, 
did like 12 people just say wrong at the same time? <laughs> Let's pump that thing through the roof. Front page of TikTok. Yeah, yeah. And then you got someone with like the the handle hash god being like He's calling him hash god. <laughs> like that's his no, that's the person's handle. Oh my gosh. It's just crazy. I'm like, Hash yeah, God, man. if you're listening, you pulled a lot of views in for us, so go ahead and comment on all of our posts. Yeah, smash the dislike button, Hash God. Um so yeah, that was uh that was our TikTok. But hey, video did great though. Video we did got great. a lot of likes and we got some new followers on TikTok. So if you're a new follower, we promise to tell you legit info. We'll it was it, it, it was not not legit info. <laughs> uh, it just was, uh, you know, I kind of misspoke on something while trying to get to something kind of more important and cooler. But anyway, um, but we also talked a little bit about we opened your phone at the start of last week's episode and you were you popped up on the news. Right. So we did cover oh, yeah. this a little bit. Oh, yeah. We touched um, on this lately. OK, yeah, that's and this is actually what spawned. So um, but then yeah, Reddit got a hold of it. Exactly. So I was in a global news article uh, regarding some work that we're doing in a building I've owned the building now for four or five months. We had let all the tenants know in advance that like we're going to be renovating the building. Um, and then when the ability to basically do what's lovely called it, the renovations, they came in, we have a permit in place. We gave everybody that noticed that we're going to be doing it. At this point, I think of the 19 units, there's only six or seven people left. Um, so we gave out those notices and it immediately followed with them going to Global News. They made the article and then... We addressed it on the podcast, and I wasn't, like, super sympathetic about it. I understand. I totally understand why people are not – I understand it's not a great feeling to be to keep getting that notice, um, but it's also not like it's something you have to do overnight, and I understand it's a very tough rental market and all those things, but this is kind of what we expected to do with this building, and the building is in major need of, of repair. Um, it, it's completely terribly done, like, electrically, uh, plumbing. Like, all those things are all having to come out. Um, so anyways, we're addressing those items and, uh, Reddit got a hold of it and I think someone made a little edit and they overlaid my response on the podcast over the article. And then again, same thing, hate loves to like breed more hate. And so it just went on a crazy comment tirade and they, they took, they take different things and they, they kind of twist it. Like I made mention that my mother co-signed on one of my first investments and instantly in an entirely unrelated um, episode unrelated clips. So someone did a deep dive or someone was just already hating enough yeah. that they were like, ah, I'm going to come in here with this something from three weeks ago. Exactly. So they found that out from a previous episode at some point and then they, they brought it in and, um, they, I don't know, they did all sorts of What's crazy that stuff. Mean? I don't, I don't know. But anyways, I saw whatever it is what it is. I'm not too, too concerned about it. Like again, I'm trying to work with everybody that's there. Uh, I understand it's a no fun process for anybody. And we're just following the rules as they're laid out. We're not trying to do anything offside. We have permits and we're offering the compensation as per required. Nothing's been done incorrectly. So I just want to address that. Otherwise, I don't really have much else to say. Yeah. It, I uh, would like to say for people out there that are considering getting a cosigner, there's nothing wrong with getting a cosigner. I think sometimes when I read this, I'm like, oh man, this is why real estate and financial and borrowing literacy needs to be taught more in schools because it's so, so important. Yeah. And the fact that some people on there think a cosign means someone gave you money, especially in some exorbitant <laughs> amount, that it made your life. Yeah. Um, like a cosign, my mother cosigned for me for my second property, and she worked a 35-year career as a nurse. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 
she did not give me a dime on that property, but she had a, a great stable career, which from a lending perspective, they really liked. Yeah. And like, I take no shame in my mom co-signing when I'm starting my life, um, you know, to help me get a mortgage. There's no shame in that at all. And exactly, you know, just like, you know, there, there's no, someone that gives a cosign isn't necessarily bankrolling. My mom was not in a position to give me any money, but she was willing to sign a piece of paper that said, you know, she will also guarantee this mortgage effectively. And it was risky for her to do because she couldn't carry two mortgages either. And so to twist that is like one super petty, um, but it's also just very ignorant of what a cosign is. Like, oh man, these, you know, someone who doesn't even know what a cosign is, isn't being, you know, taught and these things. How's that person ever going to go out and buy a home and buy real estate? Because the reality is why there's so animosity is because there is a difference between owning real estate and not owning real estate. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a gap and it's getting larger. And un- increasingly there's those that have real estate and those that do not. Yeah. Um, but maybe if people understood things like what a cosign is, there'd be more opportunity for people to, to own real estate. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the hate actually comes from ignorance, like you said. Um, and the only thing I'm just going to say is, like, I don't think I've ever alluded to the fact, but I didn't, like, I don't think I came from some struggle or nothing. Like, middle class, I'm very totally. fortunate for a yeah. lot of things, like, all that all the way through. Um, I'm just saying there's there's an opportunity. We definitely did some grind to get there. But for me, I can say I came from a fortunate position to be able to get to where I was. And I'm fortunate mom was able to co-sign on, those, on that property. And it definitely changed the trajectory of things. Like, it, it helped me out. Um, so anyways, it, it is what it is. Like I said, I don't really want to get too much more into it. Um, but yeah, that, uh, if you want to check it out, it's on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, take it, take a read through. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there are people there that also went into the actual dilemma of the situation, which is, you know, if you do not like the rules that are in place, um, probably maybe more effort should be done lobbying the government to change the rules. Like, yeah. um, and that's not a hate the, don't hate the player, hate the game, but there's an element of that. And then if it's okay, if, if these rules are in place and they've been agreed to and, and um, you know, it's in my best interest to follow them, why would I not? And, and the implication is, well, you should not just because you should altruistically just volunteer affordable housing. Yeah. And, I would love to be in a position to do that one day. I'm not in a position to do it now. And it's, it's not what I do for a living. And I've said this before, you know, my responsibility is first and foremost to my family and to provide for my family. So I'm okay with the process that I go through. And, and, you know, we, we both, I think, and I actually, I know we both treat people as as well as we can and, and we are well-intentioned, but unfortunately it is a hot topic and um, people are looking for a place to, Bend. throw throw the, the, the vent and and um the scapegoat frankly but yeah anyways let's anyway, get into the topic yeah. it is it is what it is if you want to check it out it's on reddit uh lots of interesting things got said but moving forward to more interesting stuff i don't really have anything too exciting deal wise um another potential property in, the, in my neck of the woods came up but again that's not too crazy i think we will end up doing a walkthrough of that area once I'm, i've finished doing all the buildings um but what i am learning is I, I think I've, I've talked about it before, but I started with private lending and now I'm working into more standardized, like more like B product lending, which is like credit unions, those kinds of institutions. And then I'm doing my final takeouts once the buildings are finished with A lending and or even CMHC, which I would call like A plus lending effectively. And I'm just learning about how intensive the reporting requirements become. 
like when you go for private lending, it's quite a bit easier because you only have to provide basically an appraisal yeah. and a down payment and a plan. And, and the plan can be literally like an email. And yeah. they're like, let's do it. That's kind of the nice thing about private money. People are like, what are the, the pros and cons? Well, the cons, higher interest rate or whatever. But the pros, if you don't lo- like, if you like having less accountability, private money is yeah. a little quicker. Exactly. It, it funds quick. You don't have to do a ton of paperwork. You can literally put your plan on an email. You can put your budget on an Excel spreadsheet, and you can use pictures as your as your like stages forward. Yeah. You get into the B lending, then you gotta start using uh, appraisals to make sure you're actually accomplishing the work, or even um, cost consultants, which yeah. are making sure you're spending you the have money to properly. Pay for. And you have to yeah. pay for all that. You gotta pay a lot more for legal fees. And so, anyways, going through that now, I'm just again, I'm now stabilizing and getting rid of my private money. And I'm just realizing I'm finding out like one of my CMHC loans it's been almost a year now. They sent this thing like these are all the documents that we need to get from you mm-hmm. on this building and on your business. And I'm like, holy smokes. Fortunately, they're prepared. But yeah. I was just like, this is intense. Like it's I'm not used to having to provide that. Whereas like, again, private lending, as long as I can show them pictures that the building's moving along, they're content. Yeah, that's why, you know, we we did that episode where someone asked um, how quickly should you incorporate? And it's like sometimes incorporating brings all these hassles because once you start incorporating and going through conventional commercial lending every year, I mean, right now I've, all my financials are going to do because even when I own like one little building, you have, you have one four unit like, in there and they still need full financials on a company. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's that time of year. But we'll accounting is important. Done. We should actually do an accounting episode, bring somebody on and they can talk about, cause I know I get a lot of questions about people asking like if they own property on their own and then in a corporation. Yeah. So we'll do an episode on that. Need um, an accountant for yeah, sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. What do you got going on? Anything new and exciting? You've been working on a couple of big deals. Um, I've got uh, that 12 unit um, that I'm purchasing that's been under contract. We're actually like ripping through our due diligence pretty quickly. I am nice. pleasantly surprised. It's going very smoothly. Um, the environmental should be wrapped up on Thursday, and all indications are that um, it's going to be smooth, Good. which is like shocking. Uh, it was a rare building that was built actually with electric heat initially. In the 70s, 60s and 70s, that was incredibly rare for uh, an apartment building to be run off electric heat. Yeah. It was almost always oil, yeah. and those oil tanks were almost always buried. And that's where your environmental it's issues come It's a good place up. to keep your oil. Yeah, yeah, keep it underground. Um, and uh, in this case, the building started electric, and ironically, the current owner converted it to oil in the 90s, um, but at least then there was a, a, a paper trail of, you know, tanks above ground and storage rooms that had been replaced. Every there was rules years. at that point. So like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the environmental went really smoothly. Um, and so I'll be taking over that building, I think in July. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be going through that same process and, and, uh, trying to f- figure out ways to, to vacate the building to accommodate the renovations while also, making sure those people have a place to go. And part of the process of working with this owner is that, you know, he's been there, he's owned the property for 30 years. Yeah. And he, frankly, as he put it, he's like, I feel an obligation to some of those tenants and I sort of take care of those tenants. Yep. So um, without going into, you know, his business or, or my business, but we are doing some things to take care of those, especially long-term tenants. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that project. It's just a building that I've always loved and um, I've always thought it had so much potential and it's well cared for. So excited for that. Um, yeah, what else? I'm closing on that development site in Lunenburg. Um, so that's as of right about 44 units. 
Nice. Um, up to 50, depending on how we structure it. It's going to be um, townhouse apartments. Uh, and it's going to be a really manageable size because we're going to take the existing lot, and as of right, we can parcel off one section that'll be a row of townhouses, another section that'll be a row of townhouses, and then I think it's five little individual townhouse lots at the front. Oh, nice. Uh, so even those individual lots at the front could, in theory, be sold off one at a time. So the financing, the ease of the build, the option to sell part, parts of it but not the whole thing make it a relatively manageable project. Yeah. Uh, and just the fact that it's going to be wood and can be done in three different structures of townhouses. It's actually really doable. You better it's, do some really cool design there. Yeah, I mean, it's Lunenburg. It's not like Heritage UNESCO, like cool Lunenburg. It's, um, if people are familiar with Lunenburg, it's right by the high school and the skate park and the rink there. Um, but they're really bullish on development down there. So um, excited about that one. Excited and, and shout out to my partner who uh, brought that to me, Chris and Jenny, the planners. I've, you know, pumped them up a bunch of times on here. They're just, they they're know great. this stuff so well yep. um, that they see these opportunities. And um, again, in a place like Lunenburg, they're keen to see it. So super excited about that. We had our gala the other night. That was a good time. <laughs> Neil was on the dance floor. Yeah. Um, what else? That's about it, man. Just these just couple weeks have been a little quieter. Yeah. I think right now we're going through the steps and the processes. For us, a little quieter. I think in the general market, though, it's quite the opposite. Um, I'd say yeah. locally, we have more listings coming on than we've had in months. Uh, oh, last week, yeah. we had over 200 listings, which for us is the most we've had, I think, in about five months. Yeah, so that means 200 new listings popped up in the system in one week. Yeah. By comparison, there were days earlier this year where in like all of HRM, there might be like 13 new yeah. homes. Yeah. Right? So the fact that now it's up to whatever that would be in. And it seems to be steadily rising. Like I feel like every day, yeah. I was on there today and there's a couple streets where multiple homes came up on the same street on the same day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that that's an interesting one to watch. It, obviously, it's probably keeping you guys very busy. Um well, you're running around, I imagine, because you got a lot of people getting in, which is great. And I think I see some deals going through. Like, I'm starting to see places firm up, and the prices are, they're a little bit better than you think. I think, like, I think, I don't know if it's a mixture of people are afraid to go. Like, I know myself, I see stuff come up, and I'm like, all right, that's going to go for 200 over. I'm not even going to make it out and go look at it. Um, and then I see it firm up, and I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not as insane. Crazy. And I think it's also partially because people are pricing to where they need to be. Because um, before, like, that house that might have been, 500 they were listing it at 349 or 339 yeah now they're like well my neighbors went for 499 or 505 i'm gonna list for 479.9 i've actually had this problem because i'm listing this home and i I listed the first one of these about a year ago and we listed at 349 it's pretty standardized cul-de-sac everything's the same you're the problem (laughs) (laughs) i listed at 349 and we did really really well on it which Mm -hmm. i think at the time was like somewhere maybe in like the mid fours or, or something yeah and then everyone on the cul-de-sac was like, me too. And every agent was like, I don't know, we'll just do the exact same thing. And they've all over and over again listed at 350, sold for whatever, 350, sold for like they yeah, all yeah. just keep listing them at 350 despite overwhelming evidence <laughs> that they are going to trade somewhere in the mid force. So you think, well, why not move them up a little bit? The most recent one was on for 350 and it sold for 500 and something. That's and nuts. so now I'm listing another one. And say 350. Do I, I don't know. Do I just put it at 350? <laughs> or do I say, this is silly. Why don't I price it at 
425. Know, 425 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you worry because then if someone down the street lists theirs at 350, They're the same week, yeah. you know, so this is the silly game that's going on. But um, you seem like you're getting to something. Well, I'm not. My fear-mongering self, as everybody knows, I'm always freaking out. I've been freaking out that there's going to be a, a crash. I'm still on that tip. Um, also, I, we've been talking about oil and gas. I'm thinking about making a play out of that. I've gotten some resources from outside of here that have suggested that it might be a time. Not to financial st- advice? Uh, not financial advice, but I've received some advice that it's not a bad time to pull out of oil and gas. Um, but additionally, like talking in real estate, you're seeing a lot of listings go up. Uh, and then the other thing is today they released, they're expecting another rate hike of yeah. 50 basis points. And all the major banks agree that they're expecting 50 basis points every quarter, which means by the end of the year, we could be as high as like three and a quarter percent, which is almost double what we started the pandemic at. And it's yeah. a rate that we haven't seen since like 2008, 2009. Right. So it just, these kinds of things are taking place. And I understand like they're doing it because they need to cool inflation, but at the end of the day, like when you look at what it does to payments, it's enormous. And you're like, well, it's only half a percent, but it's half a percent relative to what we have now, which is one and a quarter percent. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like 20, 30 percent, 40 percent up. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm seeing this take place and it just it doesn't just impact housing. It impacts everything because every business runs on borrowed money. And mm-hmm. so everything has that that cost pressure. And so with that and then with the increased cross pressure, you get reduced spending. And so things cost more, less money's transacting. Things have to slow down, like things have to give at some point. So I'm just, again, watching these things take place, watching the housing market. Do I think it's going to crash? Maybe not necessarily crash, but I think there is going to be a slowdown. I don't think necessarily the prices are going to pull back a ton, but there's going to be more of a leveling off. Right. And that's why I think you're seeing houses firm up a lot more around the same price. It used to be yep. your house went for 400 then your neighbor listed after went for 425. Then your neighbor listed 100%. after went for 465. I think we're coming to that point of stabilization again. I, I this was the thing I was always um, concerned, and this this is where I felt the market was getting away from us a little bit. Was that people were each each individual property was selling for more purely because the last one sold for a price X. They were just going to add five percent to it without any actual intangible like it could be literally the same house yeah. and it would just sell for more and that was the thing that always kind of concerned me because i couldn't find even I, even in irrational times you look for some sense of rationality the same home should sell for the same price uh and there yeah. wasn't any of that happening it was perpetually going up and up and up but you're right now i see the homes are selling based on what the other homes like them have sold for, even if it's a month later. I'm, I want to throw this out there because this is going to be massive news for real estate agents and also the public, depending on, on uh, how it goes. So this was rolled out by the Canadian Real Estate Association. So that's our national um, governing body, if you will, for, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. The Canadian Real Estate Association is proud to announce a pilot project that will display real-time tracking of offers on Realtor.ca listings, a first for Canada. Open Offers, a groundbreaking offer management software provided by property technology company Open Negotiation, has been selected to be integrated with Realtor.ca, Canada's number one real estate platform. This is... When did this come out? This just came out today. Um, this is the start of what could be open bidding. And so if you're a buyer out there, you've probably thought about this before. Um, 
couldn't I just know what the other people are bidding and then decide if I want to bid more? Why whoa, can't we whoa, see each other's bids? Whoa. And so one of the things the liberal federal government talked about was this idea of transparent or open bidding where everyone could see each other's bids effectively and raise accordingly. The process as exists right now is closed bidding. You do not know what anyone else is bidding. This pilot program, I'm blowing Neil's mind right now. This is on the press. I don't think people understand the impact this is going to have. Yeah. So th- oh the challenge with it was always like, well, how are you going to do it? Um, because as a agent sitting there w- at you know the the dining room table with the seller, and you've got ten offers, oh how do you go back to each one and say, okay, agent number one, we're at this. Okay, they raise five thousand bucks. Go to agent two, three, four, five. You have to go back and forth. But this automated system that will effectively live track the bids will be like people there with eBay, only you can actually see, you know, it going up, it going up, it going up. Uh, It's a pilot program for now. Yeah, that's going needless. That's going to be such a hit. As a consumer, it makes total sense. As a seller, it's not the most amazing thing in the world. And the reason I'm going to say this is when we've talked about this, I think, a little bit before, when you have 20 offers, you have basically 15 of them are all going to come in around the same spot. If you list your house for 400, your house is probably worth about five. 15 of them are going to land at 500 plus minus a little bit. And then you're going to have five or even three or even maybe just two that are just berserk. Like they're going to be like 575. Like they're yeah, just, they can often be on another planet. They're on another yours. planet and yeah. has nothing like the rest of the offers aren't there. But now if you do this where it's open and they're going to see them all at 500, they're not going to be way berserk. Like how many times have you seen that? There's, there's yeah, always yeah, one totally. or two the that outlier, stick out. Right? There's always a two outliers. The other thing I had concerned about the market is that when we record our data, our data of averages is actually um, a data of average outliers, right? The outlier bid wins, yeah. and then we average them and say, well, that's market value, and there's problems in that. The thing with this oh, is, is again, man. you worry about um, privacy, it's right? Was the seller going to have to opt into this program? And will it also include conditions? Because price isn't everything. Right. Conditions matter as well. Um, and I can imagine a scenario where this actually causes people to have to waive more and more conditions because if things are out there in the open and you're saying like, well, oh my gosh, that person's waiving conditions. I have to waive my conditions or I'm raising my, you know. Is this the end of the realtor is my next question. I, <laughs> I mean, these are all great Do questions. Do I need Neil. you to put a bid on eBay? Um, no. Yeah. This is the thing. And can, can, can this platform... Book an inspector? Probably. And it's interesting they reference um, this in the Australian market because this is already going on in the Australian market. I'm actually doing a podcast on on this. Let me go ahead and get another um, beer. Yeah, so this is huge news. This is insane. I, I, I So just to recap God. for people out there, CREO, which is our national governing body, is launching a pilot program for an open bidding process, you- meaning – you as the consumer will be able to register and track bids on a property online. This has been something some consumers and even the federal government was advocating for a little bit. Um, it's a game changer. There's no other way to, to describe it. I come it. to the podcast today. I'm telling people that interest rates are up 50 basis points, you know, which is some scary stuff. Okay. And then Chandler shows up and he's like, yo, it's open bidding. You just go to eBay now and you buy all your houses. Well, you can imagine people will just be literally sitting there at their computer and going five thousand dollars more, ten thousand. Time for a fallback. One thousand more. How are they going to track it? Selling with, cars. Uh, 
well, how are the sellers going to feel about this? If, especially, one, it could be, it result in less money for them. Two, uh, it's always been sort of viewed as their private business, what offers came in on, on their property. And three, what are they going to do about conditions? Well, people also have to disclose what conditions they're waiving through that process too. So this is massive, massive news. Again, at this point, it's just a pilot program. I guess the but sellers we see- have the control. Because they own the property. Because if the totally. sellers, if sellers just be like, no, I'm not going to put my house on there because I want the bidding to be crazy. This is the other thing is, will sellers have to opt into this? And as quickly as technology moves, you have to think this is going to be adopted. And then you realize, well, as quickly as things move, will people just, sellers that aren't happy with this, get off the realtor system? Because realtor, Korea runs realtor.ca effectively, right? Um, are, are sellers going to opt off of realtor.ca? There's a, there's, going to be heavy. big ramifications of this. And the, this announcement just came out today, April 6th. By the time you're you're watching with this, you, you may have already heard a little bit about it. But this is big, big news. This is meltdown shit. Well, it's step one towards meltdown. <laughs> I don't know what meltdown means. But, um, <laughs> pilot program. Right? Um, but we know technology moves. This is going to be widely adopted. Uh, I think it's going to be widely things. adopted. I think it's going to be forced in, in, into, into play because there's a lot of people that are unhappy with it. But, man... This my thing is this changes the whole industry because it's 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 gonna change how people bid. It's gonna for buyers, sellers. It's gonna change for realtors. It's gonna change how things get transacted. It's good, though, honestly. Honestly, it's probably good. It, it adds a lot of stabilization to the market. Things are actually gonna trade hands for what they're worth. Um, because, like, I think for investors, this market, it's hard. But investors, it's a numbers game, and so like they're still playing the thing. I think this will actually help to protect the average consumer who's just buying a house, and they're not necessarily an expert on what house yeah. houses are worth. Like when you show up to buy a house, you haven't necessarily been obsessive and spent all this time checking and browsing values, and then you're expected to go bid and be crazy about a price. This will help to kind of keep things in check, and so you don't have to be so stressed about coming into it being like, well, I just paid 200 grand more than this house is worth, and I better hope my neighbor's house sells for that as well. Otherwise, I'm kind of upside down in my house. Yeah. Um, also it'll probably supply better data because I always hoped that they would figure out a way to drop the highest bid and drop the lowest bid, average out the others and publish that information, Mm. right? If you take the outliers out of the market, what are people actually bidding for these homes? And presumably you'll be able to see that because you'll be able to see where are people dropping off, where does it end and where were all the bids through the process? That would be 12% lower. I bet you 10 to 15% lower than, than what we're actually seeing as numbers. All the more reason this could be very impactful. Crazy, crazy. Okay, moving forward, I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm gonna have a meltdown. We're what else have we got in the news, man? That, that's the biggest news story. That's bigger than the 50 basis point hikes. Um, <laughs> Chandler didn't mention this at all. Um, this is another one. I don't know if we talked about this at all, but investors own this. So this is my last news item before we get into our main topic of mini homes. Um, but this is across Canada, and this is again just me fear mongering, but. On average, in all the provinces, investors own 25% of the houses. Now, I don't know if that stat is 100% accurate, and there's going to be a lot of other issues that go along with it because they're going to like factor in like what constitutes as a house, like what are the multi-units. And what constitutes an investor. And what constitutes an investor, and like are they including like all the cottages and those kinds of properties, et cetera, et cetera. And are they doing unit counts? Like, okay, if I own a duplex, do I own two homes? You know what I mean? Like, So how are they counting those units? Yeah. yeah. The one that does kind of sketch me out basically, though, is they're saying that, but again, this is the other thing. They're saying that 50% of new houses coming to market, so new homes, are purchased by investors. Now, again, this could be skewed because if you own a house, 
and you want a new house, you're going to have to buy the new home before you sell your current house. Yeah. Most times, because so typically you have to buy the new house like eight months or 12 months in advance. So yeah. Usually you'll buy the house. It's a second property for a period of time. It's a second yeah. property for a period of time. And so I think that might be skewing this data. But if it's legitimate, it scares me a little bit just again, because it's like, wow, there's so many investors. But on the same note, like renting in general is 40, 45% of the market. So it also kind of makes like, sense. Also, does this include condos? Because we both know that oftentimes when a condo is being built pre-construction, they sell a bunch, and I'm using quotations here for people who are listening. Um, flipped in or- 50 times. In order to hit certain sales uh, plateaus to get their lending. Yeah. So it's like, hey, I'm building a condo building. I've got 60 units there. The bank won't advance me my funds until I hit 25 units. Hey, Neil, could you buy five units from me, please? Yeah. Right? And you do up five contracts, you buy five units, I can take that to the bank and it helps me get my financing. Yeah. So, you know, you always worry about the counting. I can say that if you go to a subdivision, you know, like say Indigo Shores, they're just expanding Indigo Shores right now. Yeah. Half of those aren't going to investors. Like, I don't see that there. Um, Ooh, you're, you're not you're not convinced uh, in this market i'm not convinced anymore it's okay. like it's like when they listed up a whole row of houses. so west bedford's a brand new neighbor that's being built or south bedford i think it's called now whatever it is it's gotten so big <laughs> they're expanding to other parts of the compass <laughs> yeah exactly we have we've crossed over the center of the compass and we're now on the south side um but it it um a lot of them sold to people but on the flip side i know an entire street of like 40 single family homes sold to an investment group. And I know a bunch of people who bought in there and I have a bunch of my investor clients that call me and like, hey, you think I should buy a couple of these? Because new homes grow quite fast in price when they're finished because you can buy a pre-construction one, let's say for 800, big due to demand when it's finished because there's no other physical product that's finished and ready and new, you might be able to sell it for 880. So it's like a guaranteed 80 grand on a, let's say a $50,000 down payment for eight months. So I, I kind of think that there is that. Again, the other thing is, though, they sell to the investors, and then within three months... It's resold to a... It's resold yeah. to a home buyer. Um, the investors yeah. are squeezing the money out of it, but then they're also having to put the money up in the, in the short term. Also, what you're seeing it. a lot of builders and developers do is they knock out, um, you know, 300 units, right? Yeah. Um, and they take two cul-de-sacs, and they turn them into townhouses, and they keep them. Mm-hmm, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Like, so of those 300 units, they may keep 40. Yeah. Right. And so that's a, a percentage going to them, which man, we're digressing. We need to do um, an episode on digressing. Tricon. What did I say? What did I say? Digressing. What did I say? That's what you said. I oh. think we should do an episode just on. So we oh, can just, just digress. on digressing. Yeah. I actually thought one time I wanted to do a podcast called, but I digress. <laughs> and I would just go on <laughs> rants about stuff uh, all the time. Um, so there's a company. There's there's two companies that have been in the media a lot lately. Uh, Blackstone and um, Tricon. And these are companies that buy up large subdivisions and develop large subdivisions, uh, predominantly in the States. Purpose-built for rental. Purpose-built for rental. um, And they were recently, I think Tricon was recently on 60 Minutes or something. I saw Barbara Walters there. And this is a topic all in its own, and and it's it's too, there's too much to, to go into here. But... I think we both acknowledge that there is a changing and, and this is why it's so there's so much animosity because there is that big divide in society between those that own land and those that don't. Yeah. Right? Like that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And and we see the writing on the wall and have decided we want to be the landowners. 
Yeah. And there's history of that that is very dubious and it's it's a loaded, loaded history. But that is where the real animosity of what's going on right now stems from. Those that own land and those that don't. And if you start looking at what those companies are doing, Blackstone and uh, Tricon, I think they're called, and look them up, when they buy these massive communities and turn them into rentals, they are becoming the old, almost, you know, feudalism back in the day where people owned the land and then they effectively sublease it out to people to work the land. Like, yeah. And everyone always throws that quote around um, from whatever that economic forum is where there was this rumor they said you and you will own nothing and be happy yeah. and this whole idea that you know now we're going to get into car sharing we're going to get into rented spaces we're going to have food delivered to our house we're not going to own books we're going to get like books short term rented on our, our phone or what have you mm-hmm. there is this weird thing going on where there's going to be a bunch of people that own the assets and there's going to be a bunch of people that short term lease them and the short term leasing often feels really good in the moment but then you sort of realize, oh, man, like I don't own anything. And there is this real accumulation of wealth that's been exacerbated by this whole pandemic. I think it feels good a lot of the time. The only thing is you don't, unfortunately, accumulate the wealth as mm-hmm. well. But I think even within that, you're going to start to see wealth accumulation through what you lease due to limited availability and limited supply. Yeah, triaging and stuff. Well, yeah. triaging. And additionally, like I saw this in San Francisco. Uh, a guy sold his lease in an apartment that he rented for 750 grand. Yeah, that's, that's US. Crazy. So that's like a million dollars Canadian. So that's worth more than the average house in Canada. Yep. He sold his lease for an apartment because he had a good rate and a good location. Which and is, it wasn't a crazy apartment. It was a normal apartment. And if we want to kind of bring this full circle, there's also tenants who have leveraged some very significant buyouts from their landlords. Exactly. Right? And this is kind of where the sentiment to increase tenancy rights is that, like, is there going to be a time where tenancy rights and land rights are almost on par? Yeah. So this is all crazy stuff. And maybe this is because it's the after hours edition. I would say we're, you know, we're a half beer deep. We have digressed. We fully digressed. And now we're going to talk about mini homes. Which is also very interesting. Speaking about leasing. (laughs) If you want to get really depressed about some real estate things that people have done, look into the dubious history of some um, mini home or mobile home park owners in the States and some of the uh, uh, exploitive things that have gone on there. So also not what we're going to talk about, but let's just talk about mini homes. Let's talk about mini homes right off the hop. What are they? What is a mini home (laughs) modular or not a modular, but what is a mini home? So this is a great question because mini home, modular home and mobile home, often get used interchangeably. Big time, all the right? time. So initially, the mobile home was called that because it had a big trailer hitch on the front of it. And if you go see an old, old they mini still got them mobile, on there. they still are sitting on that trailer hitch because you could very literally drag it around. And you would drag it somewhere, you'd pit, put it up on piers, like sta- stacked cinder blocks, and it would remain there. Um, but that's where the term mobile home came from. Um, and then it got stigmatized a little bit. Right, people that oh mobile home park they, I know in our industry they started to not want to use that term, yeah. so they started calling them mini homes. Yeah, and now because of the advent of actual the mini home industry, which is generally considered to be any home that's under six hundred square feet. Yep, that that is kind of creating a little bit of confusion between a mini home meaning a mobile home and a mini home 
being a, one of these micro new, new houses. And I mean, let's also be honest, they're not really movable anymore, at least not very easily. They uh, yeah. used to literally be built that the frame of the home could be strapped to a trailer. I know, I've now seen you have to put them up on a bed and, and move them that way. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got modular home, which sometimes people throw that in too, because modular home is, uh, for lack of a, a more, you know, TikTok could be all on me here, man. Let's go. <laughs> um, it is a home that is manufactured inside, like a factory built home. Yep. But usually, like, so, so most mini homes meet that description because they're built inside an assembly line. They're standardized product. They're produced in a factory and then delivered somewhere. Modular homes, though, are typically assembled in large parts inside, um, like they're components, but they're actually put together on site. So um, a lot of modular homes are almost built in two halves. You prepare the slab, you ship it there, and obviously it's easier to ship in smaller parts. You get to site and you assemble it on site. You can have a two-story with a garage as a modular home totally. and shows up in four yeah. or five pieces and they created it and they put it together like puzzle pieces. Sort of like concrete tilt up. If you've ever seen someone do concrete tilt up, but yeah. they kind of fold it up and, and put it together. So, um, but what we're going to use for the term, we're going to call, um, do you want to call them the mini homes? Let's go with mini homes. Yeah. Yeah. Mini slash mobile homes. Um, most often they're thought of as having, as being in a park, yeah. uh, which is a land lease community, but they can also be on their own land. Right? Yeah, you, you can, can go straight teasing. to the store and buy one. Yeah, yeah. And you can put it wherever you want, as long as obviously you have to have the connections for power and water. Um, so yeah, and Chandler alluded to the fact that oftentimes they're in a park. Um, they're they're reasonably usually an affordable option. They're, that used to be a thing. I don't know. Now they're like a couple yeah. hundred grand. Like they've gotten quite pricey. I feel like. Yeah, you're. Uh, so they build them a little bit larger now. I think you know you used to be able to buy units as small as fourteen feet wide, and then their most common sixteen feet wide. And if you had something that was eighteen. You'd be like called a, a double wide, even though it's not double. But most yeah. of them now are 16 or 18 feet wide, typically 44 feet long, give or take. But you can get some really big ones that are quite a bit longer. So a nice new mini modular home would be around 1,200 square feet, yep. three bedrooms, two baths. And yep. they're gorgeous. They're the very nice. Ones, but that would run you about 230 to $250,000. I and mean, that's before you've done anything with it. Well, yeah, you still got to get it to site and you got to put well, it up if on you're buy your own land or whatever. Services. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that number's up a lot for anyone who's wondering. Yeah. That number was about 150, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. They, they skyrocketed because material costs skyrocketed. And same thing. They also sold out now. Like you can't just go in and buy one and pull it in. No. It, it's, you're going to be on a waiting list. Um, so let's get into the parks for a quick second. So I guess what is a park? How does it work? And can you just show up at any park? and say, here, I got a, I got a home, I want a spot? Or do you know, how do they typically work? Yeah, so, I mean, most of the parks now are quite old because they haven't developed new park grounds, at least in our, our part of the country, in, in quite some time. Some parks have been able to expand, but for the most part, the parks that are there are the ones that are there. Um, but a landlord owns a big piece of land and typically has private roads running through there and individual lots that they then lease monthly to someone who owns a mini home, which is effectively sold like a chattel, because um, it's not a piece of real estate. It is a, um, it is a chattel. It's a movable object that you own, and they can place it there and then have to pay a rent to that landlord. What's rent usually? Uh, I can only say here locally. If you are a new um, resident, like if you are the 
new owner of the unit because mm. it's like it's like any other renting if they kind of stick to the new person. Yeah. Um, you'd be probably three seventy five to four and a quarter depending on the park because parks can set their own rents. There's really really strict rent control though in many home parks, and a lot of that comes from some really horrific situations down in the states where um, because these homes are not as mobile as people think. Uh, landlords were able to jack rents and people couldn't afford to move their home. Um, so, you know, 375 to four and a quarter is kind of what's common here. What's included in that 375, four and a quarter? Um, not a whole lot. Um, they, they often will have a community water, you know, community minute, um, well and septic effectively or, yeah. or water and, and sewage. So usually that's included. And then, um, the care of the the road system, the plowing, uh, the road maintenance. That's okay. about it. They do usually have common areas and stuff too within these parks, or sometimes not, not usually. No, no. It's usually just street with a bunch of a bunch of houses. There's some parks that have done a really nice job of setting up like a walking trail around them. Like there's a park here in town that is only for seniors. Like you have to be over. I think it's, I think it's like over 55. Yeah. Because this is another thing. Parks have to approve owners. So when you go to sell yes. your home in a park, the new owner has to be approved and they do credit checks. They might have an issue with the dog that you have. Um, and in the, in the case of one park, they're seniors only. But they've done a really good job of having a walking trail all around the park and things like that. Um, that makes sense. So how does that work then on like a financing basis? Like when you're going to buy one of these, is it a standard typical thing? Like I guess you can get financing on a condo. Is it the same as that? That you're getting a mortgage on the property or... It, it, is, some issues? it is kind of the same. Again, they are chattels, right? And a chattel is different than real estate. Um, so the financing of it is a bit harder because they're not able to finance a land component of it. Like when you think of how these homes are going up and up in value, the real value is of that's increasing is the land. Yeah. The home is the same as it was before. And if anything, the home gets worse over time. It's appreciating with the maintenance. Right? But the land is going up and up and up and up. When you have a mini home that you don't own the land, you can't say the same thing. So the actual chattel, the home itself, kind of goes down in value. If you're an engineer out there and you're listening to this, it's like economic or engineering life of the property goes down unless, you know, maintained and upgraded over time. So this created a really real problem because a lot of lenders wouldn't loan on them because there wasn't a land component, but also they wouldn't amortize as long. So people out there who have a mortgage um, or are looking into mortgage will understand what amortization is says, okay, if I buy this property, how long do I have to pay it off? Yeah. And the longer you have to pay it off, the lower your monthly payment, understandably. So it used to be when I first started, you get a 40-year amortization and really what? kick that thing down the road. Then it was 35, then it was 30, then it was 25. Um, so I'm flip and go back up. Yeah. Well, with mini homes, for a while there was this issue that the lenders would say, these things are only really going to last for 40 years. That's kind of the economic life of these things. So as the home got older the amortization they'd be willing to offer you became less and less. And there'd be a case where you have a 30-year-old unit, the bank may say, we're only going to let you amortize it over 10 years. And as a result, your payment would be way higher. And to reverse kind of compensate for that, the older a unit got, typically the less and less and less it would become worth. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah, but that has changed significantly because people are realizing, one, um, these homes are built pretty darn solid. And yeah. two, the market's been so strong that they've been going up on their own accord. Um, and so now it's not necessarily the case that, um, you know, a, uh, an older unit will be worth significantly less than 
uh, a younger unit. But there were cases when I used to sell these where people virtually had to buy them in cash because it was like a 35-year-old unit. No way. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know at all. Like, I haven't had the opportunity to do uh, a ton of, of mini homes. I've done a couple. Um, but I guess I can see the value appreciating now because it's almost like, similar to what we said, it's almost like there's a value in the fact that you have the lease locked in for that space because there are uh, home parks within the city and within, like, good locations that now a house in those areas might be super expensive. And if you want to be in that neighborhood, that might be a great opportunity in a way to do so. Because again, these homes can be nice. They're decent spaces. And Incredible spaces. They're yeah. one level. You know, and, and I referenced that one community that was specifically geared to older, um, older occupants. That's one of those neighborhoods where people are really trying to get in. Yeah. You know, so people were very keen on getting into those locations. And a unit is worth way more in that park than in a different park. Also, <laughs> you know, different fees, a place that has better fees than another place, a little more relaxed rules. Um, you know, they have the same sort of neighborhood to neighborhood element. And what was really interesting, because I know we're going to talk about flipping these in a little bit. Yeah. There were times where you could get a really good deal on a unit because it was in a certain park. And if it was a good enough deal and there was a vacant lot at a better park, you could pick it up, move it to the better park, and all of a sudden your value had gone up. Yeah. See, I feel like there's a whole like little economy that goes on yeah. that a lot of people aren't privy to and don't totally understand because you see some of the prices on them go like crazy. You'll see in the same park, one sells for two forty, and another one's up for thirty nine nine. Yeah. So that has primarily driven by age. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's primarily driven by age because uh, you, you can finance the former, you can't necessarily finance the latter. With all this being said, before we get into the flipping thing, what would you say like the number? Actually, before I get into that, what's the deal on renting? Um, it, it, you mean it's as park, it's park rules? Like oh yeah, so so I mean, as the owner of the unit, you are renting the land from the park, and they've got their rules and regulations. Like I said, it could pertain to your dog. It, you know, yeah, uh, someone could file a complaint about you about music, and um, but additionally, they will often have requirements about the unit itself, and they have a lot of trouble enforcing them, except when it's time to sell. So uh, almost all the parks a few years ago got off of oil. Because believe it or not, some of these units had their own oil tanks and their own furnaces. I've seen a couple of furnaces. Yeah, there. that's and, crazy. And so now when they come up for sale, the park will make um, a requirement of the sale that the, um, the new owner has to remove the furnace and remove the oil tank. So this is why, again, also some of these older units are less marketable. They also had a requirement uh, for some units that used to have the rounded top. You know those ones? I they almost look like a steamliner. Yeah. No way. They were requiring you to put a proper peak on them because they look better. They also may make you do certain things to your deck. Like they'll send you a little letter that says, hey, just so you know, you got to fix your deck. It's very similar to right. a condo. It is very similar to, to a, a lot condo. Of, yeah, a lot of shared. Yeah, except that you don't get to decide the rules. Like when you're in a condo, you get to vote collectively on these rules. Um, in the case of uh, mini home parks, like the landlord is making those rules. However, the restrictions on landlords and, and raising rents and all these things um, are very, very strict. There was actually someone who commented and I didn't have a really good answer for them. And, and hopefully they watch this. And, um, there was a, a tenant, you know, who owned a unit who had a real significant disagreement with their landlord. And they were asking a question about whether or not the landlord could evict the property or evict the mini home and the person from the park. And I'm sure oh. they could, but there would have to be a pretty significant threshold. Um, it would be very hard for a landlord to do that. Yeah, that's actually, that is a weird kind of a gray area that I, I would be unsure how that would work. Um, I guess my other thing like regarding renting is how would it work? Like, is there rules in place in some parks 
regarding, let's say I own yeah, the Mini. Your tenant would have to be approved by the park too. No way. I've had people been approved for financing and not be approved by the park owner. Because they really? didn't like their credit. They didn't think the credit score was high enough. No way. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to go in there and meet with someone and answer questions and fill out a form and give your credit check. Probably, I don't know. It's been a while. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they asked for a criminal record and all these things. Yeah, they do. I like, remember yeah, I've done yeah. a couple of those. And yeah. you, the pet forms too. They've asked for an outline of what you have for pets and totally. et cetera. So you as a buyer could get approved for the mortgage, get an accepted deal, and the park could say no. Your dog's a badass, and so you're not getting yeah. in. Um, but also, it's same if you rented to someone, right? They have to kind of meet the same criteria. Um, so there's no chance of Airbnb. Uh, oh, man. There was no way. How would you do short-term rentals? Yeah, I guess you can't. Guess you can't. They're, yeah. they're going to approve every yeah, single yeah. short-term person? Yeah. Like, it just wouldn't happen. Huh. Never thought of that. But. Do you have people that you do find, like, that prefer to be within these communities? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't stress enough. Like, some of these parks are really sought after for people to get into. You know, they have their friends who like live they, in they the park. Much, I think much more community vibe. They they do, you know, and, and some of them, again, are more sought after than others. But this one called Timber Trails, like, people love it, man. And that's the one that's been recently extended because there's so much demand for them. And so now they're marketing, you know, they partner up with a, with a home builder and say, hey, you know, we've got your home right here for $250 in a brand new lot, and you can be part of this, and, and they're getting gobbled up. Okay. Yeah. No way. See, I didn't know all this. So what's the difference between this and a modular home park? A modular home park? Yeah. So you're seeing like, you're seeing basically, is it really the same thing? I feel like I've seen them, but they have larger lots. Yeah. I mean, it would be the bigger property. It'd be the same. Bigger homes. Yeah. Again, this is a case where people are kind of using the terms sort of interchangeably, but they would be marketing it as a, you get a slightly larger home that's more permanent, right? Because those modular homes are typically put on a, on a, a permanent, permanent foundation. Okay. So really there's nothing any different except for the fact that a modular is a slightly different type of home and it's probably put on a more permanent foundation yeah and i would feel like the leasing would have to be different because it's a permanent unit there right like so that, yeah. that seems like it would get more into like a land lease or, or a bare land condo but i don't really know interesting um what are so, the benefits of owning a mini home there's one of the, that's a question here we have on the list yeah i say what what would you say the main benefits are of owning a mini home well for a long time it was a great way to get into the market a little bit like yeah. at the end of the day like you need a place to live and um there are some folks who you know, their budget was was pretty limited. And, and if you could find a unit that could be financed well, your down payment was super low, mm-hmm. right? And your month-to-month costs would be really manageable, less than renting a place. Yeah. So people viewed them as a good first step on the property ladder. The challenge was, and I'd have to explain to them, like, when we go to sell this thing in five years, it's probably going to be worth less. If you upgrade a little bit, it might be worth the same because of this amortization problem. Yeah. Now that's less the case. Like now you can actually own them for five years and they would go up in value. Yeah. Um, so that that's one of the reasons. The others, they're really popular with seniors. They're one level. Um, you know, they're a a tight knit community, so you have a, a safety element, right? Because you're close to other people. Um, it's the lots are very small, it's so they're more low affordable option too. Like they can sell their house, take some cash, but yep. continue to own and not be stuck renting because there's a lot of concerns with renting, obviously, because they might have to move out. Yeah, or they might end up the rent could be so high that they end up burning through the cash pretty quickly. Yeah, and if you want to have no mortgage, you pay cash, and then you just pay your lot fees. Yeah, which are yeah. again they're they're few hundred they're few yeah. hundred bucks. It's gone up yeah. quite a bit, but it's still quite a bit more yeah. affordable than let's say two k in a in a rental. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. 
People yeah. were flipping them too for a while. And that's what I was going to say next. So I, I've yeah. had a few clients who have flipped them. And it's it's that same thing of like we've gone into the parks and there's old ones available for 30, 40 grand. And there's other ones around the corner going for a buck 90, a buck 70. And it's like, okay, this thing's 850 square feet. If you sink $100 a square foot into that, that's 85,000 bucks. You probably won't sink that much in. No. And so if you pick it up for 40, you're going to do it for 125. A brand new renovated one's going for 195. There's a lift there. Like there's, there's a 30, 40% lift. Yeah. There, there was also a really good uh, hold and rent market for them too. Because, you know, if you bought them cheap, maybe even in cash and you did all the work for cash and then you rent them for 1100 bucks. Cash right? like crazy. Like, like your, your actual cash flow could be pretty good on them. Um, and there were also really neat tricks. Like I said, people would move them from one park to another. Um, it, as long as, like as long as there was a lot available, it's now reached the point. It's like everything else. There's no lots available in any of the good units, and in the good parks, right? That's crazy. They're just not. Then they're they're not available. But they certainly can be flipped because you rarely have to get into the systems. These are factory built. Um, the older units only have R12 in the walls because they're they're two by four framing, whereas the new ones are two by six. Um, you know, but you're not reinventing the wheel with those. You're just kind of taking surface renovations. So pretty economically, you can make a unit look vastly different. And if you find the right buyer, there there was a, a good lift there. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, that's another opportunity for people to get in that, like we're saying, uh, if you don't necessarily feel like you might have the capital, the approval to get into something like a house, which is now very expensive. I had a client who did on a line of credit. Yep. Or they did a home equity line of credit against a yep. personal house. They got whatever, 30, 40 grand from their house. They picked one up slightly outside of town. I think it was 27 grand. Mm -hmm. Then they bankrolled the renovations over a longer period, maybe six, eight months. And now they're preparing to put it back on market. And it's not going to make them like overnight. Now they're ready to just start buying apartment buildings, but they'll make 20, $30,000 out of it. They put some sweat equity into it. And so as a side hustle for over the year, it wasn't like a full-time gig. An extra $30,000 is worth it, right? Yeah. Um, you can also have a mini home that's on its own land. So these, they, they aren't limited to just being in parks. They can be, you know, if you had a piece of land, you could put a modular home uh, or a mini home on there, um, which also makes them way easier to finance because then you've got that land component. Yeah. Um, again, the lender may feel different ways about it because the other thing lenders really don't like is non-permanent foundations. And so if you go with a, sat, uh, a stacked cinder block, they don't view that as a permanent foundation. So you're going to have to you know, negotiate that with the lender, but you will have the underlying land value that they'll finance it conventionally. And if you're going to move it to your own land, you'd probably put it on something like engineer tech posts, um, you know, or There's a lot of new options. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so you'd probably put it on something more substantial and then you'd have no problem financing it conventionally and then their values skyrocketed. So this is actually interesting because it's, it's a, a personal story. Um, my parents own a piece of land in Cape Breton in Bedeck. Nice. And there was this old converted farm house that my dad and uncle converted, I don't know, sometime before I was born. But it was a burn that was turned into, like, my cottage where I grew up. That's um, cool. Yeah, it was super cool. Uh, and then it, like, slowly eroded over time. <laughs> and a few years ago, it was beyond salvaging, not yeah. salvaging, right? Like, it was rough. And they were looking at all of these modular homes and, like, kit homes and yeah. all these A-frames. And they were all really, really expensive. And, like, we don't know what to do. And I was like, you know what you should do? We'll go out there. We'll find the cheapest mini home that we can, and we'll drag it to Cape Breton. And we actually got one at a surplus auction. The RCMP was selling it because um, some of these RCMPs have these, like, temporary offices. Like, you've seen some rural RCMP places. And so this was one of their offices, and they put it through some sort of auction. I think 
We got it for like twelve or fifteen thousand bucks. No way. And then it was five thousand dollars to transport it down to Cape Breton, and then it was maybe another, you know, five thousand dollars to prepare a little pad and get it on there and level it up. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, ultimately they had to put a new septic and stuff like that, and then build a deck off it. Yeah. But you know, it was Cut very very economical. They were probably in it for like thirty grand to get it down there and get it get it connected. So That's compare that nice. to like. 200 and some odd thousand dollars for like a basic modular home at the time. I was going to say modulars have gotten expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a case of how you can kind of be creative with them. I think that's a, that's an interesting thing to keep up with because I see this where you'll see little parcels of land that aren't necessarily too far outside of the city and they're going for super cheap because it's just a parcel of land and it's just outside kind of the, the hot area, let's just say. And I will scroll through online forums and you will see, mini homes that are up there for sub 30 grand still today. And I'm always like, I know a few guys that that's what they do. They pick those up and I, you also see free homes on there. People that are demolishing their house. Yeah. I, I know a couple of guys that'll pick up the free homes or pick up the modulars or the mini home story. And they'll then go buy a little piece of land for 15 K. Yeah. Drop it on there, get it all hooked up, clean it up ever so slightly and then put it up as an actual house and get a ton of money out of it. Yeah. Cause then it's a, it's an actual financeable home for somebody. And so they can go into it and be like, Oh, there's an actual house here. It's a thousand square feet. I can get financing on it and pay a couple hundred grand for it. It's not a big deal. But the person who bought the land, they paid 20 grand for the land, 30 grand for the trailer, and they spent another 20 grand getting it all set up. So they're into it for $70,000, $80,000. But now it's worth like a minimum of 200 because it's a livable space. Yeah, yeah. Returning back to the parks for a second, there have been units that go for sale in a park, and one condition of the sale is that they have to be removed from the park. The park has decided that, you know, it's too old, it's too run down, it's no longer welcome in the park. Interesting. Yeah, so you, if you see one in a park that is really, really cheap, there's probably a caveat in there that, hey, it's got to be moved somewhere else. I feel like there's a big stigma around the parks. but I feel Depends like they, on the park. Yeah, 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 but I think a lot of it's been like there's a lot of rules and a lot of cleanup, and that's what I learned selling my first one was that, yeah, there's a ton of rules, and like you said, I had to get the pets approved. Make sure the pets had like their shots and stuff like that. Like it was crazy. We had to get Yeah, you got to get done. the list. You got to get the list from them and say, okay, when the new person buys, what work has to be done like oh it caught it the, the we had to do a deck yeah. on ours the same yeah. thing they said part of the sale is you have to do this deck and there was a broken window on the front and we had to replace the pane because it like you could see it from the road the shattered window same yeah. thing the pane had to be replaced on closing so that bare land condo development that i was doing down in the south shore yeah right where he's got all this land now and we looked at modular homes um but they just skyrocketed in price it was like oh my gosh can't believe it but there is a model out there to return to condos where you could get a big piece of land you go through a condo corp development and get, you know, call it eight units of land and you just shop around town and find a bunch of cheap, cheap modular homes from all around the province, drag them there and then sell the finished product. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's pretty cool. I've seen not that, but a sim- similar concept. Like as you drive along the South shoreline now, I feel like every second lot you see them putting down a little pad and they're dropping pre-built modulars on there. Yep. And they're throwing them on Airbnb or short-term yeah, rental. Yeah. And yeah. they make beautiful ones, like crazy ones now. The oh, similar totally. thing. You make them architecturally unique, A-frame, like yeah. cool, cool stuff. Like not dissimilar to like the Rise Rentals. Like look at that cool architectural thing that they're doing. Like yeah. that's what a lot of these now prefab secondary suites are trying to look like. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and that's getting into the new mini or micro home kind of market where, again, a prefab home will be delivered to your site. If you prepare the pad, they'll come and they'll drop it off. Lots of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now, well, most of these are a little bit on the outskirts, but not not necessarily. Like, there's some in downtown Dartmouth. There's some in Fairview. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some right in town, and, and in some cases, you don't even know they're there. Uh, and then there's some a little bit more rural, too. 
There's a yeah. bunch I found a bunch on their own land. in town that I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Think of how much some of that land is worth now. I, that's what I was thinking like about. It's worth massive amounts. But, you know, the landlord, the, the rules are so strict. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, redevelop it really. Yeah. And for a while, the city did not want them expanded on because they were stigmatized. It's only been more recently. It's like, no, no, people like them. And, and if we're about affordable housing, this could be an affordable option. So yeah. they're, they're being allowed to expand some. Potentially a quick way to scale up, too. Like, if you can, yeah, if you get, can get a get factory them, yeah. to pump them out, because it's a lot quicker to build in a factory. There's no weather conditions to deal with. It's all standardized product. You can make it like an f- assembly line. It might be an option to create a lot more homes versus going through the 12-month build period that it takes to build a house outside. Yeah. But yeah. So... Anyways, I think that's that's everything we're going to talk about today for Mini Homes. Yeah. This late night episode's getting really late. Totally. <laughs> we do have some Q&A, though, and I don't care. Let's go. Let's go, go through the Q&A? Longer. Yeah, yeah. Let's rip through it, man. Okay. Let's hear it. I, I mean, I think you covered a little bit, but I'm hearing reports, this is a question, in some markets of a slowdown or even a, quote, correction, is this going to happen? Neil, go for it. Yes, I think it's going to happen. 100%. They're... I think they're going to be, I don't know about a correction. Like I said, it depends on the province and there's definitely things that are overpriced that have sold, but I believe there is going to be a bit of a slowdown and more of a stabilization of the market. We're already seeing a lot of listings coming on. Um, but again, and it's, it's, it's simple. It's, it, it sounds lame and it's basic, but the rates are going up and that impacts people's ability to get approvals, people to pay for everything that they have in their day-to-day life. And so that between that, the require more people listing due to it happening it's going to cause things to just kind of, I think, teeter off a little bit. Now, I think, bit, yeah. exactly. On the flip side, Canada Canada specifically is in the business of immigrating people, which will continue to push the market. At the end of the day, our biggest driver for all this stuff is immigration. Like that's, Those are where we're getting so many yeah. more people to buy. If you look at the growth for every single city in Canada, that's what it is. So how, mu- how much more price growth do you think we have left? Well, I think it's going to continue to go on. It's funny because I saw some reports came out today that says we're going to have double-digit price growth again in 2022. And I don't doubt that that might happen again because we're coming off a year of like 35%. So maybe mm-hmm. this year it's 10 to 15. And then I think after that, we're going to stabilize more like a 5 to 8%. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think after that 10 to 15, there might be a little pullback? Is that what you're kind of envisioning? I think there's going to be a pullback in some areas, in some neighborhoods, in some cities. Like it depends. If there's things that are just so, so high-priced and it's like for really not a tangible reason there's got to be some pullback because people are like, why would I pay X for this when I can pay something for that? Like I'm seeing, it's I don't want to call out specific neighborhoods, but there's certain neighborhoods that maybe traded at 300 before and now I'm seeing the same homes go for 600. And then the neighborhoods that were 600, they're only trading for like 700. And I'm like, and the end of standardized product. Yeah, right? standardized like, so products. Like that $700,000 no, no. house is probably double the size. Yeah. The lot's bigger. It's a different neighborhood. It's a different style. And that, that neighborhood was built with the intention of larger homes, larger lots. So it's a little bit better plan, maybe, and a little like you know what I mean, and versus the other one. So I think things like the 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 sheet needs to balance out a little bit, and there's a lot of places that are getting squeezed along the line. So I think there's a change coming. I don't think necessarily there's a correction coming, but I think a slowdown and a stabilization is on the way. Yeah. Another question we had was, what do you think are the most important factors when deciding what to buy? And we kind of talked a little bit about this, and we we have a bit of an order. Number one is budget, because budget drives everything. Yeah. Right? When you're deciding what to buy, some of that decision is not yours. Yeah. Some of it's been decided <laughs> for you. Yeah. So the one of the uh, my number one most important factor when deciding what to buy is budget. Yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. Um, my second thing, and it's a lame one again, is location. And yeah. I, I didn't believe it when I got started. I thought I could palette certain things, and I said, ah, whatever. But now I'm realizing I've only like, been in this for like five years, but I'm seeing location pays in so many ways because it's what you like the things that you're around yeah you say you're going to make the commute if you don't have to or you had the option not to it'll it'll consistently bug you um and then again as an investment or as an asset 
if you get a better location, your asset growth, it'll always be nice to have. It, it's always just gives you security in your product and your, in your home. It, it's nice to have, and it's good to do. Um, so though like that is something I think is so important the, the, for me, the commuting is the one that I think gets undervalued. Like if you have to add an extra 15, 20 minutes to your day, that really is going to beat up on you over time. And you think that's 20 minutes each way. And for everything you do, it really starts to add up. Yeah. I mean, for me, number two is location as well, but it's because it's the one thing you can't change about the property. Once it's that, it's yeah. the one thing you can't change about it. Right, you can change almost anything else about the property. You can't change where it is. So number two is location. And with within location, just harp on that a little harder. Is also just like even the lot. Like yes, if you yeah. buy a house, but it's a weird corner lot that everything's cut off, and you don't have a really a backyard, and it's all sloped and this and that. Like those are things that you can't really change. You can renovate the house, but you can't then add another yeah. fifty feet to your backyard. I was with a client, and we were deciding between two homes that were virtually identical in two different neighborhoods. Both neighborhoods great. Yeah, one was on a main road. The other was a flat lot, and it was on a main road and has a steep backyard. The other was on a flat lot at the end of a cul-de-sac. And I'm like, man, this is the All kind day. of road that dreams are made of, man. Yeah. How much more is that worth? Right? You can't change it. You can't make the other lot flat. You can't make the other lot not on a main road. Yeah. And just like this thing is always going to be on the end of this cul-de-sac. Yeah. Right. So number two, location. Number three is goal. Right. So the third most important factor when deciding what to buy is to know what your goal is. And that could be, is this for something for you to occupy or is this for you just an investment? And are you going to be there short term or long term? Dream home. Is it your dream home? Yeah, that's a great point. So when you're deciding what to buy, it's like, all right, what is what am I actually trying to accomplish with this particular purchase? There's, there's kind of an intangible aspect that you need to take into account. Numbers aren't everything. If it's an investment, then yeah, it is. But like, if it if it's also your house, like you want to enjoy, it, you want to love it, and there's totally. a good chance you're going to be there for ten plus years. Yeah. Then really think about it and make that effort to make it that because you'll be very happy that way versus always kind of having that little bit of bothersomeness in the back of your head. This one is kind of a follow up on that, and maybe I'll run through mine first, and then you can kind of chime in. It's what do you look for in a rental? And my number one on this is location. My number one when I'm looking at rental is location. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll say for me, number one with a rental, uh, I think is numbers like the financials, the ability for price growth. Um, Location is a huge determining factor That's for that. That's the thing, right? It is one of and the also, biggest management wise. Location, man. Like and rental base. Like location. All the reasons we just said location was important for people deciding what to buy. It's also important for them deciding what to rent and how much to pay for it. Yeah, and right. I'm learning this now, too, because, like, my best investment was my best located property, not necessarily some of the other ones that are bigger. Um, and I'm probably a little numb to it right now because there's so much growth in the market. Almost any location you had is is doing well. Yeah. I think if there's a slowdown, I'll really feed into that idea. Exactly. And if rents level off, where are they going to stay the highest and the best location? Yeah. So number one, when I'm looking for a rental, is location. My number two is the number of doors under one roof. That's the second thing I check. Like, if someone's bringing something, like, hey, I got something. So, all right, where is it? One, two, how many units? Because number of doors under the roof, like you that, like to say around four to six. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh my God. That's <laughs> dick. <laughs> oh man. That actually is really hurtful now. Um, but no, do, let, that's the first thing you ask. Yes. Though, no, right? 100%. 100%. The more doors you can have under one roof, the better. It's just better for banking, better for like growth. And the same, it's kind of similar to location management and all the expenses and everything goes into it. It, it, it operate multiplication, yeah. you know, diversified risk. And think about it. When someone sends something across your desk, like, oh, I'm not sure about that location. And they say, it's 40 doors. It's like, okay, 
now I'm maybe a little bit interested. Yeah. So number two, I always check is the number of doors. The third one, because this is just how you and I think, is lift potential. Yeah. What value can I get out of this property once it's you know properly managed, once it's turned over, you know, um, is and and built into that because you notice on none of these so far have I said price. Right? Yeah. The lift potential is effectively the same way as looking at what's the price. Yeah. Because we're thinking of what's the current ask and what's the end value. So yeah. number three is lift which is price. And I think we're leaving price out sort of because yeah, there's a budget, but like we've always talked about, it's cool. not cool, but it's, it's neat. If you can like, you find something and then you kind of have the challenge to find a way to put it together, whether it's partners, vendor take backs, you have to be creative to make it happen. Sometimes it's bigger than you when that, when that project shows up, but trying to be creative and finding a way to make it happen is kind of part of the game. So if it's a deal, there's almost always an option to do something with it. Well, think of it. We, we sort of alluded to these off the top, but we didn't go in depth. We're looking at these projects and what's jamming us up. Number three, the lift. Yeah. Right? Like it's jamming us up. Like, oh man, like, you know, I, I like the location. I like the door count, but there's no lift in it, which means either the end value isn't high enough or inverse, the, the current asking price is not low enough. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, something I'm obsessed with, man, is how the utilities are split. And when I talk to tenants, especially, it's more so relevant in the smaller ones because you notice it more. Bigger buildings, oftentimes heat will be included in whatever. But Another thing I immediately ask is, how are the utilities split? Yeah, I like when they're done improperly. Because you see the chance to improve Because I okay. see the opportunity. Usually, okay. the price of the building is lower. Because like, wow, we yeah. spend X on this and or this is a mess. The more messed up stuff there is, I find that the better price. Of course, I prefer yeah. to have it done. But I find... But you don't want to pay for it. Yeah, Exactly, yeah, I don't yeah. want to pay for it. So I find if it's not done... Hmm then there's usually an opportunity there. When I find out like, oh, it's it's definitely metered, this and this and this, this is done, this is done, this is done. I was like, okay, what's the price? Okay, never mind. Yeah. Okay. So we got one location, two, number of doors under one roof, three, the lift potential, four, utilities. My fifth one, if I like all those, I say, well, what are the bedroom counts? Am I dealing with all bachelors? Do I have like a bunch of three units? You know, personally, I love two bedroom units. I find they're so easy to rent. Yeah. Everyone wants a, a good two bedroom unit. Uh, and then when you get into a mixed building, like, all right, summer three, summer two, summer ones, I know I'm going to have non standardized layouts. So the next thing, we're getting pretty far down the list, is what are the bedroom counts for me? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Same thing. Two, twos are the best. I've seen a huge uptick in one bedrooms. I think that might be because of where the prices yep, of twos have gone. 100%. Ones yeah. have become a lot more popular. The three plus range. It's kind of diminishing returns. Totally. Your price per returns. square foot starts to fall off. And that's why you see people that don't really build them. Yeah. And they're not quite as exciting. Even a three bedroom unit, I find that a little bit. Do you find that? Yeah. They don't yeah. they don't rent for like the jump from one to two is great. And then from two to three is, is marginal. Yeah. Yeah. And then last one, and I was doing this list, the very last one I look at is the condition of the building. <laughs> this is this is true. I honestly usually I assume the worst when I'm when I'm buying. I'm just like, all right, I assume the worst, like realistically, because we're in the active investment phase. If it was purely for a purchase of of parking money or just as an investment condition would bump its way up that list quite a bit. But where we're in the active investment where we expect to be doing work to the property, the condition's a lot less scary. And we have a comfort level with the work that needs to be done. So I think that's why that one gets bumped down. If you're purely looking to just invest and not be as aggressively active in the building, that condition number should fly up a couple numbers on that list. Yeah. And again, like the way we approach looking at condition is relative to the lift potential. 100%. Right. Um, So again, recapping. What you look for in a rental, number one, location, number two, number of doors under one roof, number three, the lift potential of the property, number four, what's the situation with the utilities, number five, bedroom counts, and oddly, number six, 
condition. Is there anything you think I left off? No, I think that, uh, like for me, it's always numbers. I'm always just running numbers. Like yeah. I, it's plain and simple. And then I start going through all the other objects. Um, but I want to, like for me, everyone knows fear mongering Neil. I want to go back to this housing market one for one quick second. Oh, okay. I have right. to, I have to. My last point on why I think this market's going to cool, and we've talked about this a little bit, is when you see your neighbor's house sell for less than what you paid for your home, or if when you see like two side by side houses that are the same, and one sold six months ago for five fifty, and now one firms up today for five twenty five, consumer confidence is absolutely shattered because right now everyone is buying based on the fact that the next house will sell for more, the next house will sell for more. That's like the biggest thing that I find that convinces somebody to make that aggressive bid. Man, which is the greater fool. Exactly. You know, and yeah. the second that it goes the other way, and I think we're starting to see some of these places firm up and be like, whoa, wait, what? And the second that starts happening, everyone's going to be like, wait, 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 Yeah, yeah. And it hasn't been, it's been two years since a house has sold for less than the one next door. Yeah. And so yeah. there's like this crazy amount of blind confidence. And I, I swear everyone, that's when they're making their decision. They don't even look at their payments. They don't even look at anything. If they're within their approval, they're just like, yeah, if, he, if that one sold for, like you said, 505, I'll do 5% more. Yeah. The second that that one now goes for four seventy five, the is shattered. They're gonna be like, "Oh no, and wait!" Yeah. Then they get way more discerning, and, and all the other yet? objects are gonna have come in. Have you seen in. that yet? I'm seeing some stuff starting to firm up. That I'm like, "Well, that's not that crazy." Yeah. There's like I was pointing yeah. out the house that I was looking at for myself. I expected to go for about eight hundred. Most of the ones on that street have gone for around a million. It went for six sixty. Yeah. That might be the cheapest house in the peninsula to sell this year. Yeah, yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah. And then I saw a duplex firm up in Dartmouth on an, in a neighborhood that I would expect a duplex to go for five, six, seven hundred grand, and it's in the low fours. And the last time a house sold in low fours, I was a duplex in that neighborhood, was two years ago. And I remember when it did, because people were blown away. Since then, they've been going for five, five fifty, mm-hmm. six. Mm-hmm. I think the most recent one went for seven, and now one just firmed up for four forty-six or something. You might have actually sold it. Um, I don't think I did. Which one? But on Sinclair. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they I understand the, it was yeah, rough, yeah. and it was a bit yeah. small, and there's some issues with it. But it's, it's still, in the grand scheme of things, going to look like a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually know someone who was like, didn't show it because they thought it was going to go for too much. And now it's like, a bunch of those. oh, crap. You know, I probably should have showed that to my client. Yeah. That, I didn't show that yeah. one for 660 because the same deal. I didn't think that was going to yeah. happen. And there's another one that's gone pending and for sale a few times. And I'm like, oh, crap, that number's dropping down. And I didn't show it to my clients because I was like, this is going to go ballistic. And I'm sure it might have gone ballistic the first time around, but I bet you it firms up for way less than I said. Yeah, interesting. So we're maybe at the top of this crest a little bit here, and some of these numbers that weren't supported to begin with might have a bit of reckoning, Um, which isn't to say things are going to crash, and it's not to say, you know, if you see a property and you feel good about the value, don't pull the trigger. Uh, It's just, you know, proceed with caution and, and think about what you're buying. And could be totally wrong. COVID's lifted, immigration's resuming, and let's look at all the cities that have had massive immigration. Things went ballistic the whole way through. Toronto's a prime example. Could also be some good opportunities here, too, if you're a buyer out there and thinking, like, okay, you know, you never try to time a market because that means you're kind of in it for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. But, you know, all the more reasons to see places and take some swings, and and who knows what's going to stick here, so. Yep. Interesting, interesting. Let's end this late night episode. I got to go to bed. All right, man. Thanks for listening. Check out next time. time. Yeah, later. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.